<clears throat> and for those of you that perhaps are listening and watching via the internet this morning, we do welcome you with our congregation term with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. In case you're interested, this is message number 18, and we're in verse 18. So uh, that's a Sunday a verse, and of course, that's about how we proceed through uh, preaching expositionally from the Word of God. Actually, I want to uh, back up to verse 17, and we'll bring go back eventually to verse 13 and kind of bring all this together. But in verse 17 through 21, Peter writes, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each uh, one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last, day, uh, last times rather for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So we have been focusing on holiness in the gospel and primarily on redemption. What Peter is doing is he is listing a number of wonderful attributes of the Redeemer, of the Savior, in preparation for our holiness. Let's go to the Lord Jesus in prayer. <clears throat> Father, bless, I pray the word this morning in our hearing. We pray, Father, that the Spirit would uh, remove any hindrance to the gospel, any distraction Lord Jesus, to what we would learn from this passage. We thank you that many, many hundreds of years ago now, you moved in the heart of Peter by the Spirit of God to record these words in order that we may be strengthened, in order that we may be edified by them as believers and as sinners that are unsaved, that we may be brought to repentance and faith in the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> So this morning, as we, we begin there in verse 18, we go through verse 21. As I said, in just a moment, we'll back up a bit. But uh, I want us to think along the lines of why Jesus is precious and we are not. Why Jesus is precious and we are not. It is interesting that when we speak of people, we speak of children, we speak of babies, we speak of grandchildren, we speak of spouses, we speak of families, we often respond, well, that, that, that person, he or she, may is a precious person, and indeed they may be to us. Well, Peter paints a different picture here in these verses, actually beginning in verse 13, and carrying through verse 21. And that's very important to remember. 
If I had time, I'd go back and we would look at uh, the fact that we are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and how God did not see within anything within us that made us intrinsically holy. It is the impartation, if you would, the imputation of the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ that makes us like Christ. So he uses the word precious quite a bit in these epistles, and we'll look at these in just a moment. But for matter of review, put the first slide up. We A couple of weeks ago, we um, began to bring all of this together, and this morning, God willing, we'll try to finish it for you, at least through verse 21. In order for there to be a redeemer, there must be a ransom that is paid. It's not a ransom that sits on the shelf, a ransom that is paid in some fashion. For you and I, for lost sinners, that ransom was Calvary. And the ransom that was paid was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, more than the blood, remember this. It was the blood that flowed from the person of Jesus. We're saved by the person of Jesus. The shedding of his blood was the giving of his life. And we'll speak about that as we go through these verses in your hearing this morning. So a couple of weeks ago, I closed this message by saying, so what were we redeemed from? And so Peter's done a a magnificent job of describing that for us. And in order for us to understand the preciousness of Jesus, we need to understand the significance of our redemption and the state we were in before Jesus Christ. The state that you are in this morning if you are a lost sinner without the Redeemer. Because we're sinners, sin brings the judgment of God. The Bible teaches that we were slaves to sin. Ephesians 2 is very, very clear. We had no hope in the world, and lost sinners still have no hope. We'll see that When we get to the latter part of verse 18, he talks about futility. We are awaiting, or sinners rather, are awaiting the impartial judgment of God. And I mentioned to you that uh, in verse 17, it says, You call on the Father who without partiality judges. That's the only time that phrase is found in the entire Bible. God is an impartial judge. Judge. So the Bible would have been incomplete had not the Spirit of God moved in the, in the heart of Peter to record that particular phrase. Our sin pays a wage, and that wage is death. We know that from the book of Romans. If we die in our sin without ransom, our sins are not forgiven. There requires a ransom to settle the debt that each one of us owed to the Trinity. And only Jesus can satisfy that ransom. James, we went back and looked in a couple of passage, uh, passages in James we may look at this morning. James 2, the half-brother of the Lord said, For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, is guilty of all. So all of us, have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We are guilty of all. 
So God sentences all unbelievers impartially because we are sinners. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can say that will change the judgment of God because he is impartial. And he knows all the facts. God is the one that determines how he is to be satisfied. We don't do that. He must be satisfied in a way which he himself has determined is acceptable to him. There's an entire book in the New Testament that references this. That's the book of Hebrews. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, there's no subtraction, no forgiveness of sin. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the very first death occurred because God killed an animal and used that, the blood of that animal as the prototypical sacrifice that eventually would lead to the precious Son of God. So that's what Peter is wrapping up here in these first 21 verses. Next slide, if you would, brother. So the word precious is found 12 times in the New Testament, found literally scores of times in the Old Testament, but never in the reference that we see in the New Testament. It's found 12 times and seven times in Peter's epistles. So you might think that Peter has a focus on the word precious. Timios is the word, means to be held in honor and esteem. There's uh, a little more definition, and we'll cover that as we go through here. We see, look at verse 7 of chapter 1. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious, held in honor and esteem above silver and gold. That's a tough thing for Americans, isn't it? Then here we've seen in verse 19, the preciousness of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ. Look at chapter 2 in verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. We will learn this morning in verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And in chapter 4, uh, verse 4, rather, of chapter 2, he continues that he was chosen by God. Now, verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, chosen by God, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And verse 7, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Is he precious to you this morning? And then he continues in 2 Peter, Chapter 1, so turn with me there. Simon Peter, a bondservant, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. This harkens back to verse 7 of chapter 1 in 1 Peter. 
that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Seven times in the New Testament where 12 times the word precious is found. And it's almost always translated to be held in highest honor and esteem. Now, in English, interesting, sometimes in, in the, the Greek language or the Hebrew language doesn't translate easily into link, uh, English, but here is a time when the word precious from, from the Greek is almost verbatim of what it is in the English. In other words, the English were sharp enough to follow the Greek definition. And in our English, it's of great value or high price, and that's usually reference to jewels or precious metals. In fact, Peter talks about that in verse 7 of chapter 1. Uh, when we speak of uh, children or babies or, or spouses or families or, or whatever, that's a highly esteemed or cherished individual. Could be a friend, could be a family member or so forth. So that's the English rendering of this. Now in verse 19, and it's important as we look at this this morning, literally the translation of this particular verse is Jesus, it, it speaks of, what does it say here? He indeed, the precious blood of Christ. Literally, it's translated with precious blood as a lamb without blemish. Now, I'm looking about you this morning, and there are some very healthy, beautiful, and handsome people here today. But none of you are without blemish. Our clothes tend, tend to do a very good job of covering our blemishes. Sometimes it's makeup, sometimes it's hairspray, sometimes it's toothpaste, whatever. But none of us are without blemish. And the word here means intrinsically sound. In other words, there is no infection. There is no malignancy in Jesus. And or no scar would be an example. And then he uses another defining term, without spot. And that word further defines the intrinsic value of the preciousness of Christ who is sound and healthy in a manner because he is holy. And that word spot there means we have been unaffected by contact with others. Now we've struggled with COVID for nine to th going into three years now. Some of you have had it. Many of, many of our folks here have had it. Craig mentioned this morning his mother had it. I came down with a, with a cold this past week, took a COVID test on Wednesday. And swore up and down, that's what I had. And then, of course, the test said it was negative. I didn't take another one because I didn't want to be proven a liar. So, no, no COVID. So, now, how did you contact or how did you contract COVID? You had in some way, some manner, to have been in proximity, and we learned many, many months ago that you had to be usually within 10 to 15 minutes of proximity of a person that was infected with COVID. Not 30 seconds, 
So there had to be some extenuated length of time, or to us, it seems short, but some type of exposure that was minutes, not seconds. And many people, millions of people became infected, and of course, now globally, millions of people have died. Christ, and this carries with it not the infectious nature of disease, this carries with it the fact that Christ is not infected, nor could he be infected with sin. That is the intrinsic nature of God the Son. He cannot sin. God, the Bible says, cannot sin. It is who he is by nature. He's not like you and I. He cannot. Christ cannot, could not sin. He was tempted and could not sin. That's a nature that is other than you and I. We've been talking about the otherness of God. One of the reasons why he's precious. So let's begin here this morning, or let's, as we move through this passage, let's look at why we are not precious. Well, verses, verses 14 through 18, we started this last Sunday morning and closed, and I'm just briefly going to cover the first one. But uh, verse 14 through 18 give us four insights into, into the condition of being unredeemed. And the fact that a little later on he'll talk about uh, the like precious faith. And that's important. Verse 14, he says, you'd gird up your minds. We've spent a great deal of time looking at that. And in verse 14, he says, uh, don't, to rest your, uh, up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. That's the first one. We are, we are people that lust. That is a part of pride. That is a part of control. And we looked at that in some detail last Sunday morning. Secondly, he talks about don't be conformed to your lust in your ignorance. And we'll examine that in just a moment. Third, don't live your life futilely. Don't live your life uh, in, a, in a manner where you, it's haphazard the way your life is guided and directed. And then finally, in verse 18, he talks about you have been uh, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition, aimless conduct, your feudal conduct, by tradition from your fathers. These four things or make up the reasons we're not precious. We lust, we're ignorant, we're ignorant because we lust, we're futile, we have aimless lives, and fourthly, we tend to follow and be people that follow tradition, especially when it comes to religious things, to spiritual things. We're enslaved by lust, he says here, and in James 1, in verse 14, James wrote, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Next slide, if you would. <clears throat> now, we covered this as we closed a couple of weeks ago. Lust means a longing for something that is forbidden. It is a desire, especially in a 
sinful manner. It comes from uh, the uh, Hebrew word meaning to covet. I want something that is not mine, and it is perhaps within my power to acquire it. And it's generally associated with power or control. In fact, if you look back at verse 12, we talked about this. Um, the uh, uh, gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. The word desire there is the positive application of acquiring the holiness of Jesus. It could be translated lust in a positive way. In other words, a desire that is strong to change your soul. Okay? Lust entices us. It results in sin, and it kills. Sin soils the mind. We're no longer rational. We may be educated, we may be intelligent, but we're no longer rational. And there Paul would write in Romans 1, even though people know sins produce death, they continue to do them. And that's true of every sinner that has ever lived. Sometimes it's true of us as saints. Thankfully, we have the precious Jesus Christ that is willing and able to forgive us. Jeremiah wrote this about this many, many years ago. He says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. That's my heart. And it's wicked. Sin and wickedness are synonymous. When we sin, it is a wicked deed against God. It's not a little white lie. It's the wickedness of lying. And the Bible is very truthful in teaching us that. That's what Peter's doing. Now, thinking is one of the great gifts that God has given to us. It's one of the, the attributes of God that distinguish us from all of his other creation. If you're listening, say amen. amen. The Bible begins... In Genesis chapter 1, teaching us all of the manner of the creation of God. And it starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it ends with, in chapter 1, what was his last creative act? God began by creating heavens and earth. What, what was his last creative act? It's God's last creative act. Huh? I can't hear you. I'm not going to answer you. Man. In fact, the last creative act of God was Eve, which should teach us that women are a lot smarter than men. Out of the gate, Moses is writing. God does all these things. In creation, he made the sun, he made the stars, he made the animals, he made the plants. And at the end of those particular verses, it says, And God saw that everything that he had made was what? Good. It was not until he created man that the summary was, God saw everything that he had made and it was what? Very good. So what happened? 
Uh, we know the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey used to write and say, we lost that goodness because of our sin nature, of our lust. And so one of the things that distinguishes us from the rest of God's creation is our ability to think. But when lust yields to sin, when it is pounded into the fabric of fallen human beings, that occurs because of ignorance. And that's what Peter writes here in these verses as well. In verse 14, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. The second thing, second reason we're not precious is because we're ignorant. And the fact remains that we choose to be ignorant in many cases. Ignorance can be overcome. So lust exists because of our ignorance. Matthew 15, Jesus teaching. And he says a very similar thing that Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17. There Jesus says, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, proceeds murders, proceeds adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. All these things, he said, come out of the heart of man, and they defile man. Now Jesus could identify mankind like this because he is the incarnate Son of God. He understood that nature, but was part, apart from that nature. Hatred clutches our heart. And the main hatred that most lost sinners have is the hatred for God. Well, why did God put me in this position? Why do I have this disease? Why, why, why? Rather than, thankfully, but for the grace of God. God has extended his love to us. And hatred clutches our hearts because we are gladly, the word willingly in Romans 1 can also be translated gladly. We are gladly ignorant. We like our ignorance. Don't, preacher, don't confuse my mind with facts. It's already made up. And this speaks to tradition. So those two things. First of all, lust. Secondly, ignorance. Next slide, brother. Thirdly, we are redeemed, verse 18 says, from our futile, from our aimless way of life. An aimless conduct. That's another characteristic of being unredeemed, of being not precious. The fact that sinners live futile or aimless lives. And we attempt to make up for this in a number of different ways. The word futile there means to, uh, an empty life, one that is useless. Now, remember, your life, my life may not be empty or useless or pointless or powerless. This is how God looks at us, not how we look at us. That's why it's important to read the Scripture because it teaches us how God looks at us. And there are some examples of this. 
the emptiness, the uselessness, the pointlessness, the powerlessness, and it usually leads to a life that is valueless in God's eyes. And an unregenerate person is characterized by the futility of life and the aimlessness of life caused by lust and ignorance. Think about today. Our culture is obsessed with rewarding people. It's obsessed with rewarding children. We even give participation trophies now because we want to ensure that children's little uh, value system is not harmed by not giving participation trophies. So we attempt to make up for situations where children, or adults for that matter, are not willing to put the time and the effort in to improve themselves. And this has become a characteristic of our culture over the past 50, 60, basically since World World War II. Achievement is king. Where did you go to school? What do you do? What's your craft? What's your art? All these things. I'm not saying it's bad. But in our cultures, particularly the Western culture, achievement is king. If you're unredeemed, however, your life still remains futile. Luke 12, you remember that story? The rich man, God blessed him, and he said, I don't have enough storage space. I don't have enough storage lockers. It seems everywhere you drive today in the city of Lynchburg, there are these storage lockers that you can rent and put all your stuff that you can't get in your house, your basement, your garage, your attic, your storage shed, whatever. You can put those, those things there. So the rich man built some storage sheds, built some storage lockers. Nothing wrong with that. Genesis chapter 13, we are told that Abraham and Lot were so wealthy, God had blessed them so much that they had to choose between the mountain area of Canaan and the plain area of Canaan. Nothing wrong with that. But the sin is, his thought was, this is where my value lies. And people make that mistake every day. I've made that mistake. And you've made that mistake. I'm valuable because X, Y, and Z. And Jesus said, my father said, you are a fool. And when God says you're a fool, you can mark it down, you're a fool. So as he that lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. The futility, the aimlessness of our life. Lust, ignorance, futility, aimlessness, if you will. And then he uses the word tradition. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. We have inherited these desires, lust. We have inherited our innate propensity not to look into spiritual matters so that we remain ignorant. 
So much of our lusts, much of our ignorance, and much of our futility stems from tradition. Now bear with me. Next slide. Some traditions are good. We are celebrating a tradition this morning. We are in the Lord's house on his day. That is good. Jesus, same chapter, Matthew chapter 15, in verses that preceded when he summed up what came out of the heart of man, he said this, You have substituted the tradition of men for the commandments of God, and in so doing, you have rendered the word of God ineffective by your tradition. The very instrument, and we're going to learn beginning in verse 22, the very instrument that God has given us to change us, you have rendered ineffective. Because you want to continue to wash your hands when you should. Nothing wrong with washing your hands. But when it becomes a tradition and you set aside the word of God, there's sin. And that, by the way, is wickedness. You render the word of God ineffective by your tradition. It doesn't matter whether Jewish, Roman Catholic, Baptist, agnostic, you could fill in the blank. Tradition passes down from generation to generation and it requires the preciousness of Jesus Christ to literally rescue us to unlearn some traditions that are unbiblical. That's why it's important to read the Word. That's why it's important to be the house of God so that we learn these things. And beloved, that is just what Jesus did. He redeemed us from lust. He redeemed us from ignorance. He redeemed us from a futile and aimless life. He redeemed us from tradition. Now Jesus honored some tradition, and some tradition he railed against. I would encourage you to read the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, and you will see that time in time again. We were in slavery to lust, all of us. That's a control thing, all of us. We're in slavery to ignorance, to emptiness, and to the inherited tradition, and we needed to be rescued, and that's what Peter is saying. We have been removed from this by the preciousness of Jesus Christ. The Puritan Ralph Denning defined it this way. He said, It is not any one faculty only that sin has defiled. But like a strong poison, it soaks and eats through all of our faculties. Our ability to reason. Our intrinsic desire sometimes to be, to remain ignorant rather than to rise above that. All these things are attributed to sin because sin defiles us. The Bible teaches time and time again, and it's important to remember that man is in utter darkness. He can't comprehend the light because he can't comprehend the light. Jesus taught about this in the Gospel of John. He walks in sins. He's ignorant of his spiritual condition. 
All you need to do is spend some time on the internet, on that wonderful um, social media, Facebook, or what's the other one? Instagram. That's all you got to do. Ignorant of his spiritual condition. He's content to be led blindly, because he lives in the dark, to be led blindly to hell by the guide dogs of false teachers. From this we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. And we need to celebrate the preciousness of Jesus Christ in and through this. So that's why we're not precious. Let's look as we close out the message this morning as to why Jesus is precious. Next slide. Well, verse 19, we've read a portion of it, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We defined that at the beginning of the message this morning. Well, verse 19 harkens back to verse 7. So look at verse 7. Uh, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. A very similar type of verse James writes about in James chapter 1. That the genuineness of your faith, not faith in and of itself, but the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. So Christ is precious. Our faith is precious because Christ is precious. Not because we're precious. So he's bringing all of this together. It's not our faith that saves. It's Jesus that saves and faith in Jesus alone. Let us not mistake that. Our redemption is with Christ's precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless. We talked about that literally as Christ's own blood. Turn with me to Psalm 49. David writes an interesting analogy of man trying to save himself. Psalm 49. Verse 5, why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. Or rather, it shall cease forever and he should, he, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. Now, well, he's only talking about rich people. Well, when David wrote this, he was rich. So keep that in mind. We cannot redeem ourselves. It requires the life of Christ. In fact, what we see here is Christ, literally his own blood that is used, that was shed in order that we might be redeemed.
So we reminded you that it's not just the blood itself. There's a lot of confusion about this. The blood is a, a metaphor for death. If you and I bleed out, I think I may have told you this many, many years ago, 40 years ago now, John Lennon of the Beatles was shot and killed um, coming, going into the, his Dakota apartment in New York City. I've read several books about what took place that particular night. And had that murder taken place within the last 20 years, there's a good possibility he could have survived because of the medical techniques that have developed over the years and because of the ability to call 911 and get people there quickly. But in, the in 1980, when this assassination took place, he bled out. The wounds themselves didn't hit any particular organs. They did hit some veins and arteries, and he died from loss of blood. Christ shed his blood. He died bearing the sins of, of you and I under the wrath of his father who took his life as his blood was being shed. Jesus died bleeding to death. He died as a sacrifice died, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He died as that first animal that his father slew. His death was precious because he is precious, because he is the one that is esteemed above and beyond, because he is unblemished and without spot, not you and I. He's pictured in the Old Testament numerous times. We're studying the book of Exodus, and we'll see it as we come to the, to the sacrifices that are enumerated there in the book of Exodus. He's the spotless lamb. You recall that on the day of, uh, uh, on the Passover, what the Hebrew children were to do, they were to go to the shepherds, and they were to purchase the most perfect available little male lamb that, that they had. And they were to raise that lamb for a period of about six months to a year. It was to be a pet within their home. And then when the Passover day occurred in our month of April, March or April, they would bring that lamb back to the priest and the priest would kill it. Because God wanted them to understand that his son is far more precious than the blood of bulls and goats and sheep and lambs. Far more precious than our blood. He was the final Paschal lamb. He was the final Passover lamb, the lamb of God. He is precious and all who repent and believe in him are redeemed. Why is Jesus precious? Because he's of greater worth than you and I. Not even close. Not even close. Next slide, if you would, brother. Summarize this this morning. Look at verses 20 and 21. He's precious because he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He's precious because through him we believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. That's the gospel. 
pure and simple. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This goes back to verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God before the foundation of the world. He'll mention it again in chapter 2. Peter mentions it quite a bit in chapter in uh, 1 Peter. These are the exquisite elements of the preciousness of Christ. Foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was predestined. He was foreordained. He is in second, and the second chapter is talking about him. he was chosen of God. Nothing caught God off guard. Secondly, he was incarnate. Not only was he foreordained to be the Lamb of God, he was foreordained to become the God-man. And God followed this through. The Trinity followed this through. And then Peter says he has appeared to us in these last times. And Peter would know that because he traveled with him for three, three and a half years and then had been preaching by this time for at least 30 years. Christ was not made. That's Mormonism, Arianism. He's not made. He's not created. He appeared in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He was destined. He was incarnate. Both of those terms together come from that one word, historical event, to make plain, to make clear, to manifest or reveal. That's what God did. I'm going to show you who I am, and who I am is Jesus. It's not Ernie. It's not Gordon. Not Mike. Not my dad. Not my granddad. It's Jesus. Verse 21 says, the third thing that happened that makes him precious, he was raised from the dead. He came back to life. God infused within him life, and he came back to life. Peter will talk about this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. God the Father affirmed his sacrifice. He said, it's complete. He said, my sacrifice in my son is perfect. My, the sacrifice of my son is unblemished. It is without spot, and it is precious. Is he precious to you? Jesus on the cross, when he died, said, it is finished. And God the Father echoed that back. It is finished. I have completed. It is done. Nothing need be added. Nothing. That's the Redeemer we serve. And the fourth part of that is he gave him glory. He ascended back to heaven. Who is the lamb? It's Christ. It's Christ alone. There are, no, no, there are neither popes, presidents, or potentates. Our presidents talk about him quite often being the most powerful man on the face of the earth. But he's not the Christ. Never will be the Christ. Christ is the one who was predestined, who was chosen from eternity to be sacrificed. So this was long before God created. I, I don't know how long. It's immaterial. That's what the Bible says. We can't put a time on it. He's the one who was incarnate. He was the one who was virgin born. He was the one that lived a sinless, 
perfect life, preaching the word of God and the good news of the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He was an itinerant preacher. He went about preaching. And then sacrificed on Calvary. Next slide. I think this was the final slide. Nope. Predestined, incarnate, risen, ascended. He died to purchase our redemption. A hymnist year ago, years ago wrote this phrase. The precious lamb of glory. Love's most wondrous story. Heart of God's redemption of man. Worship the lamb of glory. That's why we're here this morning. Oh, it's good to fellowship. Good to know what's going on with each other. How you feeling, all this. We are here to worship the precious Son of God. And this should permeate not only on Sunday morning, but through to Sunday evening and throughout the week. That's why God created us. We are believers through Him, verse 21 says, because of the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection talks about that in the ascension. Your faith and hope are in God. He's going to talk about that quite a bit as we go through the remainder of First Peter, in Christ is a ransom. In Christ is his holiness. In Christ is his gospel. So Peter talks about sin. He talks about substitution. And he talks about submission. Our sin is the reason that we are not precious. Yet despite being enslaved to sin, he became the precious substitute, the substitution for our worthlessness. He speaks of substitution as the ransom that was paid by Christ as the Lamb of God who died in our place to satisfy the justice of God, the impartial justice of God. God took the impartial justice that he rends to you and I and placed it on Christ. Next slide. The gospel is sin. The gospel is substitution. And the gospel is submission. Peter writes... We must come to God in submission. We can't lust for power when we come to God. Well, I want to have control of this situation. Nope. The Spirit of God is dealing with you this morning. Perhaps you're tuned in from uh, Internet land. Then submit to the power of the Spirit of God. Recognize your sin. Embrace Jesus as Lord of all your life and receive him as the gift of salvation. That's the gospel. That's it. It's good news. He's here to change us, to restore us back to who he is. So we've been looking at holiness. Holiness in the gospel. In the summary of these verses that we've looked at, verses 13 through verse 21, is that New Testament holiness 
means to be conformed into the image of God's Son, who is our elder brother, who is our redeemer, and he is precious. Let's pray. Father, into thy hands we commit the remainder of the service. We pray that you would use it by your power and for your glory today. We talk of preciousness often, but here Peter has defined for us in in an, an assertive way the blameless, spotless, precious Lamb of God. If there is any here this morning that does not know you as Savior, may they be drawn to the cross. May they submit to the power of the Spirit of God. Call out to Jesus in repentance and he will save them. As children of God, forgive us, Father, because we arrogate ourselves quite often. We think we have, because sometimes that we study, because many, many things, we think we have arrived. Forgive us, because we have not. And we pray that you would reignite within us a love and desire for you because Jesus is precious. In whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to sing one verse of a hymn this morning and we will give you time to respond if the spirit of God has spoken to you if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your savior the good news is he is willing to be your savior and not only that but he indeed can be we can't save you but Jesus the precious lamb of God can and will. What's required, preacher? We just went through it. An acknowledgement that you're a sinner. An acknowledgement that you are willing to confess those sins before him. To submit yourself to the power of the Spirit of God and ask Jesus to save you. And he will. He'll change your life completely. And forever. As we sing, if the Lord's spoken to you in this regard, you just make your way out of the pew to the front we will be able we'll be willing to uh, provide a counsel for you who would lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as a child of God the Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church and perhaps you need to follow the Lord by believers baptism in believers baptism brother we encourage you to make that uh, decision today we pray that uh, if you're here today and the Lord's leading you that maybe you want to join by a transfer of letter or statement of faith. We extend that courtesy to you as well. It would be a delight to have you as part of the Flat Creek family. As a child of God, we our families are precious. Don't misunderstand me. My family's precious, but not in the way Jesus is precious. We must always remember that. Not in that way. And so, if the Lord's spoken to you, we give you opportunity to respond.